Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. He had a, a skit once where he phoned up a cleaning company and he was basically pretending to be a mobster who just really needed very discreet cleaners who would like clean everything up but like could keep a secret. And he was sort of letting on hints that this is what was going on. And the person on the phone was getting sort of gradually more and more uncomfortable. And he was just full of like really crazy fun ideas. This week on Grief Encounters, we are joined by a really, really great guest. Um, A.B. Philbin Bowman joins us to talk about grief and the loss of his brother. It's been a long time since his brother passed away, and, and it's probably a great time to look back and talk about what he meant to him and what it was like to lose someone in the public eye, because his, his brother was um, a well, friend of well yours. Yeah. Very well known and a friend of yours, Venetia. I got to know him through working in Milano, and the one thing is, as Abel quite articulately tell you, he was a bit of a character. But the one thing that always struck me about Jonathan is he was a very kind person and very true to his word. Mm -hmm. And there was one story we didn't get around to telling during the podcast Mm -hmm. because Abel has so many stories. But I remember I was sort of starting off in radio and media at the time and Jonathan was very well established and he said to me, oh, Bob Geldof was coming Mm. and he was trying to set up this TV station called Planet 24 and he said, oh, when he comes, I'll give you the intro, blah, blah, blah. And I sort of was waitressing at the time, like, yeah, 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 whatever. Mm. And I remember I was in Habitat on my day off on Stephen's Green and I got a call from Jonathan going, where are you? And I was like, I'm in Habitat on Stephen's Green. Get to the Shelburne now. I'm going to introduce you to Bob Geldof. Oh, wow. And he did. And we sat and we had a couple of drinks, Bob Geldof and Bob Geldof's dad. And as it happened, the TV station never came to pass. Mm. But he was true to his word. He got me in there. He gave me the introduction. And I always thought for someone who came across as such a like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, you know, everyone still promises you stuff in the media and never really happens (laughs) often. It meant so much to me that he followed through. Yeah. Um, And I thought it really showed his character and the person that he was sort of beneath the showman. And A.B. talks about how hearing these stories, just like that, which we mm. didn't get around to telling, it is a great story, um, how comforting those stories are now, years later, when he hears about who his brother was and the the kind of uh, impact that he had on people and his memory and his legacy. Um, so I think, um, yeah, I learned a lot from talking with him. And yeah, it's a really interesting chat. And before we go, there is a really, really important event coming up. Venetia, tell us about it. Yes, on Saturday week, the 21st of September, which is, ironically, 26 years to the day that Martin and I met. We are running Strictly Handbag in the Sugar Club. That was Martin's best known club night. Mm -hmm. It'll be 26 years old this year. And all the original DJs are back. Uh, Panty will be there. Tony Walsh is headlining. We've 
everybody there's really cool prizes and it's basically a really fun night of all your favourite 80s and 90s music so there are some tickets left it's on the Sugar Club on the 21st of September and you can get your tickets from the sugarclub.com or strictlyhandbag.com and they're 20 quid and all the proceeds will be going towards Martin's Trust in association with Jigsaw Our guest today is a journalist and he's the host of the incredible Humans of Politics podcast where he expertly interviews Ireland's politicians about the emotional impact of their job. Uh, A.B. Philip Bowman's brother, Jonathan, was a well-known radio presenter and also quite a public figure, I think it's fair to say, um, until his tragic death in March 2000. This is a bit of a personal one for me, I think, A.B. First of all, you're very welcome, I should say. maybe. Because I knew Jonathan quite well and actually the afternoon that he died, he died in the evening, that afternoon I had a coffee with him. When somebody like Jonathan, who's just a force of nature, larger than life, you could hear him before you saw him, suddenly is gone like that. What is the impact? So it's, as you say, it's, you know, back in 2000, it's like half my life ago, more than half my life Mm -hmm. ago now. And at the time, so he was 31, I was 18. Maybe I should just briefly explain the family yeah, structure. Yeah, go back. Yeah, do. Just because the family structure is quite odd. Yeah, um, because my, people would know your dad mm. as yes. well. Yes. So, so my father, John Bowman, presented questions and answers for mm. years and still does a Sunday morning radio archive programme, um, which people who listen to really like and mm. everyone else is like, what? Uh, okay, anyway, <laughs> people who aren't up to 13 in the morning, which I wasn't for years, but sometimes now I am. <laughs> anyway, um, so my parents had Jonathan and they were so sort of head over heels in the first few months they just said let's let's go again mm. so there were 11 months between him and my sister Emma mm. and then the, the impact of having two kids hit yeah. them and it was 11 years before I turned up Yeah. and then there was seven years and then they, they had another kid so so there's four of us but we're spread over like 19, 20 years wow. so for me growing up Jonathan was 12 years older so like some of the big decisions he made in his life and, and in, a, in a weird way having like a brother who's 12 and a sister who's 11 when you're born it was kind of like having four parents mm. which was great in lots mm. of ways and there was never any real sibling rivalry because yeah. we, we were just always a totally it's different life It's almost like you're stages. all only children yeah. in one way Well, no, if, well jo- Jonathan and Emma, and Emma were, were definitely yeah. not only yeah. children and they definitely had to work yeah. that out between themselves but for me it was yeah it was a little bit like yeah. being an only child with all the ups and downsides mm. of that um, but as a result Jonathan was just was a sort of like really just really fun figure he was really like loving and really great to me as a, as a younger brother and just you know full of surprise and fun and playfulness so some of the big things like for example like he left school at 16 which was quite a big deal but I was four so I didn't really yeah. have any I didn't even start at school myself I didn't even know what was going on he became a father when he was 19 I was seven again I was just like oh this is happening I mean and my mother's having I mean, a baby three months later when you're seven as well <laughs> okay when you're seven and your brother's 19 you sort of look at him and go he's a man mm. he's an sure. adult I mean like it's like when you except, go into except first he, year in school in sixth year there's a bit of that but except that he is still your brother so there's still yeah. that kind of fraternal like sort of familiarity and like you know I've seen you on your worst days and I know what you're like and mm. one of the weird things was because he got quite well known quite early like I remember being in primary school and like about 12 or something and a kid and obviously like we were both 12 so we didn't know what we were doing but this kid saying your brother's a complete like so and so or an asshole or some some word basically 
his he'd been in the car with his dad and his and dad, his dad had heard said, my brother yeah, yeah, on the yeah. radio and Jonathan lived by being a provocateur his whole mm. shtick was and not in a particularly nasty way but because but, I know now in the sort of world of Twitter everything's like you're either horrible or you're brilliant or, <laughs> yeah. you know, it's sort of turned into this really extreme culture but back in the day he was just kind of mischievous he liked winding people up and you know he just had lots of ideas for I remember him sending like Albert Reynolds who was a Taoiseach at the time to a Tina Turner concert because he knew Albert was a big Tina Turner fan and he also also knew that like he'd probably say and they had tickets to give away and they went let's just give them to the Taoiseach and see if he'll do the, like review the concert for us but it's so brilliant like yeah. that is such a brilliant <laughs> thing yeah. to do. So, so he had yeah. these kind of really mischievous ideas remember he, did, he had a, a skit once where he phoned up a cleaning company and he was basically pretending to be a mobster who just really needed very discreet cleaners who would, would like clean everything up <laughs> but like could keep a secret and he was sort of lift, letting on hints that this is what was going on mm. and the person on the phone was getting sort of gradually more and more uncomfortable but like he, so he had all these sort of mad ideas and he was just full of like really crazy fun ideas is. And he was, as you said, a bit of a force of nature. But he also loved winding people up. Like, at home, it used to drive me mad. He would sometimes take a position that he didn't even agree with himself, just because he enjoyed arguing so much mm. that he would like to kind of win at the family's dinner table. And that's kind of clever. It was very clever, but it, it's not necessarily always the wisest, maybe. <laughs> and and then funny, because my sister's like very big on the wisdom side of things and, and not really interested in clever show-offiness. Mm. And Jonathan just was. And, and it was sort of fun and delightful. So I, I got a lot of that at home and, and so as I said I remember this kid in school telling me that my brother was a complete arsehole or mm. whatever and you know what I wanted to say I didn't have the, the, the vocabulary at the time to say what I basically wanted to say was I know he is <laughs> yeah, I lived yeah, with him yeah. I know all the worst and best uh, things about him I, yeah. I have forgotten more about him than you're ever going to know yeah. you you don't know but you're, based on your dad listening to five minutes of radio yeah. you have no idea who he is yeah. and I do and I, I you know I, I'm not saying your dad's wrong even mm-hmm. I'm just don't tell me what my own brother's like but obviously when you're a kid you, know, you have that power of I know something I'm going to tell this person the truth about mm. you know and I, I I mean it's funny I met that guy at a wedding like two weeks ago and he's grand and we get on it's all fine but anyway <laughs> so I had I had this weird thing as a kid where if I gave my full name there was like one chance in for an adult would, would recognise and go yeah oh, well it's a very yeah. it's a weird name, name. my mother yeah. mother's a feminist and she lumbered us with this enormously mm. ridiculous you know double barrel <laughs> thing and we all sort of lumbered that around with us and, and my son is actually just straightforward Leo Bowman just very simple mm. you know because I just you know my, my wife has a long cumbersome name too and if we try to stick that in as well it was just going to get really silly so we just went you know what let's just simplify here yeah. but the point is I had this thing of like there'd be this baggage with Jonathan and people would either be really really fond of him yeah. or really not and so I'd had like growing up it was kind of it wasn't always the easiest thing to be his brother Yeah. and then he died and suddenly there was this outpouring mm. of people going mm. oh he was great mm. and I was like well, where were you when he was alive? Mm. You know, yeah. hang on a but second. But isn't that the thing, though? It is. Especially I mean, with well-known people. Sure. And now, even more sure. so with Twitter. Suddenly, sure. everyone's your best friend mm. and they were the favourite yeah. artists you ever yeah, had yeah. in the world ever. And it's weird, because I think Ireland is, uh, for everybody, mm. like, it's basic. I, I don't believe in the concept of celebrity in Ireland, because basically, we're, we're all related mm. and we all have one Bono story. <laughs> and that's kind of it, yeah. you know. So I feel like Ireland is comfortable yeah. and it's also claustrophobic. Yeah. And sometimes that's great and sometimes it's terrible. Mm. But when he died, there was just this amazing feeling of, oh my God, there is a community. Mm. And there are so many people who just rang the house or sent mm. letters. Or mm. And that was lovely and really beautiful. Yeah, yeah. Um, in terms of, of, of just the impact of him dying, so what happened was, see, the thing is, he was a really unpredictable kind of guy. Yeah. And he was, and he was looking after his son. He was a single mm. father as well. And most of the time he would have had his son with him. But on the particular weekend that he died, his son was off with his mum. And Jonathan, I think, had, had filed his copy for the Sunday Independent and he'd gone out to go drinking mm. or celebrating, whatever. And he got home late at night and he had too much to drink 
and he basically sat down in his kitchen and I think he just fell over mm. and by horrible bad luck there was a glass pane in the door mm. of of the kitchen the back door to the kitchen and he just his head hit that pane mm. and he cut his forehead and this coroner's report as I remember it found that if he'd been a bit more compassmentous maybe it was, we don't know if it was the drink or the hit on the head or whatever mm. but he, he basically just didn't realise how serious it was and he passed out and, and sadly he just bled to death and that was it but because he was the kind of person who could just go into town and then end up taking a flight to London to go <laughs> interview somebody there was never anyone checking in going oh you must yeah. be here at this time because he just didn't have that predictable no, no. kind of life yeah. and so he died kind of I think the Friday night Saturday morning and then by Monday we were getting really worried mm. Sunday night we were, Monday we were really because he didn't mm. pick Saul up and that was a massive red light because he would never not be because mm. he was when I knew him he was always, they were always yes, together absolutely yeah. and the two of them were like inseparable and yeah. had really wonderful relationship mm. and, and it's a real inspiration for me actually now that I'm a father to try and you know have really something like that, of that yeah. yeah he really really inspires me in that way but anyway my dad and I drove over to his house and we called the police reported him missing and they got there first mm-hmm. and what it, we've now kind of figured out is that when we got to the scene the policeman was sort of interacting with my dad and my father said is he mm-hmm. and the guy t- to my ear said dead yeah and it just seemed so cold mm. and so Shocking. Mm, I think I think he was actually reading my father's body language. Yeah. My father mm-hmm. had kind of got there before I had. And so he was interacting with my father in a very sensitive way. But actually the way it hit me was just like yeah. total shock and yeah. total just being overwhelmed by no, this can't yeah. this can't and actually that's like that's it. I will never speak to him again. I will never have yeah. a conversation mm-hmm. with him. And I was eighteen at the time. Uh he was thirty one. And I was about three months off doing my leaving search. So it was just a really crazy mm. time. And just this complete sense of shock, complete sense of, oh my God, what? Mm. You know, no, but obviously this mm. had happened. And then... And it was all over the papers then. Because that, this, this I remember the I was working in Anne Olivia, which was a community station at the time. It was I was doing the breakfast show. Mm. So I used to, when Spar was on Bagot Street, cycle by, pick up the papers, throw mm. them in the basket and go on up to Griffith Avenue. Yeah. Didn't read, just grabbed, threw them in, sat down and saw the front page. Yeah. And it was just this sort of, yeah. you what now? What? Mm. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Because it's like... Sure, because he was 31. Yeah. I wasn't expecting. Yeah. And, and it was totally out Seemed of the blue. ridiculous. Yeah. Do you know that way? And, and I suppose the other thing is that, is that like, so we were sitting outside his mm. house in the car, me and father and myself. And within about 20 minutes, half an hour, a photographer had showed up. And we were, I was just like, oh, my, oh God, my God, I don't need this mm. now. Yeah. And, and another thing that happened, and I, this, I don't know how relatable this is for, for uh, but I'm sure people out there will have had something like this happen, where it was the first time I'd ever been on the other side of a news story of, of being in it. And there were just things that people got wrong. Mm. And they were quite innocent. Like, you know, people were just rushing to get the story and report the story and whatever. But, you know, just mistakes were made. Like, for example, one of the newspaper's reporters like the way you read it, it might have been a suicide. Now, it happens it wasn't. And mm. I know, of course, there's a huge number of people who, for whom that is the reality. Mm. But that wasn't what happened. It was quite clear from all the evidence. Somebody said he'd fallen down the stairs. He hadn't fallen down mm. the stairs. He'd been on a stool near the bottom of the stairs. But mm. from the layout of the house, again, that just isn't what happened. Yeah. So that was quite painful. Mm. And then at one point, again, as I mentioned, my, my mother ha- had a child shortly after Jonathan. So basically, my younger brother was photographed at one point waving off the coffin and one of the papers ran with goodbye daddy assuming my younger brother was Saul a totally innocent mistake they're the same age you know how would you know if you didn't know the family but again that was sort of just unnecessarily hurtful and having to navigate that sort of public side of things 
at a time of such grief was actually really because you don't often think that that would be helpful that so many people are with you. In, and in some ways, it was yeah. look, in terms of people writing and phoning, and like there was, I know, I remember there was an episode of Live Line, and people phoned in to talk about him. And on, on Jonathan's anniversary, we still listen to that sometimes, and it's really lovely to hear just these stories. And, and mm. it, it's sometimes I feel in life like it's like he, he left this treasure map through his life of, of people he'd interacted with. And every so often, I'll be phoning somebody for work, or I'll be talking, bump into somebody, or whatever. It happened recently, Magella Moyne and that that garden back in '93, who was sort of forced to give up her child when she was a member of the force. I ran to her in in RTE one day, and we were chatting, and she said, "Oh, I knew your brother," and she had this lovely story about doing a course with Jonathan and how much fun he was, and like that kind of thing is really, really lovely. And then there's that weird, I said that weird flip thing of like, but when he was alive, people were always like giving out about him. And, mm-hmm. I, and like, I totally respect uh. the fact that like, he was a pain in the backside. I, I experienced this too, sometimes. <laughs> I loved him to bits. But then the weird thing in the family is, is and I, again, I don't want to speak for my other people in my family, they can do that for themselves. But I had a real sense of everyone was mourning a slightly different person. Like for me, Jonathan was this, in a way I had a very simple relationship with him because he was so much older and he was just this like amazing person who would show up every so often and go, hey, I got you a Game Boy or happy Christmas, here's mm. a thing. Or, you know, I'm doing this exciting. I remember he did this, um, he was writing lines for a show called um, The Bible, The Complete Word of God Abridged by the Reduced Shakespeare Company. The greatest story ever told quickly. And he'd actually been writing jokes for these guys behind the scenes about Ireland so because they were doing it in Britain and they had these jokes about what was going on in Britain at the time. And he went, what are you going to do when you come to Ireland? They went, we don't really know. He said, look, let me, let me help you out. So he had these free tickets and he brought me along. And then he persuaded some protesters who were outside who didn't want to see the show to come in and watch it and sit with us. Mm. So they ended up seeing... So he had a great adventure. So he, he was just this kind of really fun, great older brother. And yes, when, after he died... I, and sometimes I was the one who had, to, who had to sort of say, hey, hang on, let's not idealise him completely. Mm. He was also, you know, had his bad days and his difficult days. And, he, you know, he could sort of leave you to babysit all and then kind of, you know, leave you for a lot longer than you'd originally planned because things got out of hand mm. or things, you know, something happened or whatever. Um, so it was weird trying to remember the complexity of who he was. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... 
All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. If you're looking for a safe haven to express how you feel, share articles, photos, and memories of your loved ones, join the Grief Encounters Facebook group, a place for support, compassion, and empathy for those grieving. We've talked about that before where, like, remembering the person honestly Mm. is a very hard thing sometimes Mm. because... It almost seems like you're betraying them a little bit because everyone else is saying how great they were. And then mm. you're the person that pipes up and says, do you remember when they, they were, were yeah. you know, like, do you remember that yeah. they were kind of shitty that yeah. time? And that's actually really healthy and cathartic yeah. to say it, yeah. some, you know, but it can be a really weird dynamic between people sometimes. But I think people actually like that. I mean, I know after Martin Day, like I mean, Martin was quite a character as well. <laughs> so there were times when he was a bit of a dickhead yeah. or whatever. And like it was actually, you know, everybody's saying, oh, God. It's like, no, that's not yeah. who the person is. So it actually, I think other people appreciate it because I think other people find it difficult if it's just this, you know, running commentary of how great they yeah. are when everybody has their crappy moments. To me, like, I think we love people not because they're, if, they were, if people were perfect, mm. it'd be easy to love them. Mm. The fact that we love them in spite of their imperfections <laughs> is kind of yeah. what makes it matter. But isn't that what makes it more real? Exactly. exactly. Yeah. So to me, that like that's where I'm at emotionally. But like, I, I look now maybe at some of the conversations I would have had with my parents where they were idealizing a bit and I go, hang on, AB, you have no idea what it's like to lose your own yeah. child. And actually now that I have a child and I, I think about that because I, I saw my own brother die, mm. I kind of go, this can happen. Mm. And and I, I probably understand, I, I, if I was to go back being who I am now I would probably be a bit gentler and go they have their process to work mm-hmm. through and I have my process to work through what I thought what I found really helpful was to have people outside the family who I could go I just need to talk about my experience, experience mm-hmm. of Jonathan who, I've, who I'm missing mm-hmm. and who I've lost and it's funny because I was 18 for the next kind of f- five or six years in my friend group I became kind of the unofficial group spokesperson for like pain, death and tragedy mm-hmm. like anytime anything bad happens to somebody they go oh maybe you've been through something yeah. like this what do I say when X and it'll be like you don't say a hell of a lot. You just you just listen. ask how are you and listen. Yeah. And something else that really did you find that sorry, pro- sorry did you find that put pressure on you because you were sort of young that it was sort of like you were <sighs> sort of Doctor Death <laughs> young age. Do you know what I mean? It's sort of like I, I, to be honest, it it sort of fitted my personality a bit because okay. I'm sort of like. I remember, I, was, I don't know why this was, but when I was like nine or ten or something, like helping a friend of mine through their problems. I, was, I, I guess my mother's a psychiatrist, my sister's a therapist, so maybe I absorbed some of that kind of listening to other people's issues and trying to help them through in whatever way I could at the age I was. But, you know, I guess if you're both nine and the problems aren't that big, maybe that's fine and mm. age appropriate. Um, I wouldn't be giving advice now. But, but one thing I found really useful, actually, or that really helped me understand death was, was the, the realisation that Grief is like a force of nature. It's like a storm. You can't decide when it turns up on an anniversary or tell it to go away. It just shows up on its own. And you can try and resist that. But really, the only thing you can do is leave all your doors and windows open and just let it blow in and blow out in its own time. Because that's Mm. all that's really going to work. And just knowing that it's sort of okay to not be okay. And like, I've started doing this thing actually sometimes when I'm in public meetings where I'll say, hey, hands up, is there anyone in the room who has never had the experience of waking up and feeling like 
every decision you've ever made was the wrong one and you're a complete failure. Mm. Has anyone not felt that? Mm. And no hands go up. Because every person has had a day or at mm. least a day, like that, if not like one or two. Yeah. But being in a room full of people where they know, it's like, so what we're all admitting mm. to each other is we're not broken. We're not no. wrong. We're just human. And this, this is just part, of, our part of what it is to be human. It's interesting you say about the windows and the doors being open. Um, there's a line and, and a line you probably all know in Graceland, which isn't about grief, but... Mm everybody sees the window to your heart and everybody sees you're blown apart and I always mm. thought that really reminded me of grief of the idea that like it's this thing that's just flowing in and out and you're kind of gaping a little mm. bit you're kind of like raw and, and it's, it's out yeah. there and it's sometimes out there for a lot of people to see regardless of whether or not you want it to be or not mm. when something happens when you're 18 and you realise about like it happens to all of us when we lose someone where you go oh wait bad things happen mm. and you kind of live your life up until a certain point not really fully knowing that or not having to know that. Mm. And then you do know that. And then you're different because mm. you know that. When it happens when you're that age, and do you think you would be a different person if it hadn't happened in terms of how you saw the world and how you interacted with the world? I have to imagine it totally changes. It, it does. Actually, I should, I should sort of preface this by saying, in a weird way, I was lucky in that two years earlier, my grandfather had died. Mm. And weird things to say mm. you're lucky about. But... He died weirdly on the same day that I broke up with my first girlfriend. I don't quite know how that happened. The universe really loved <laughs> yeah. me that day, first of July, nineteen ninety-seven. Yeah. Um, sorry, what was the time? Oh, I, I don't. Know. They, they didn't exactly forward. both coincide, mm. but it was anyway. It was this is it's yeah. stuck in my head. But but at sixteen then or fifteen I was and then mm. nearly sixteen. It, it kind of forced me to do a lot of those questions yeah. you're talking about like asking okay so so what is death why do mm. bad things happen to good people the one that sort of went around and around in my head is if I'm going to die anyway does that mean I can just do whatever I want like can I just live mm. you know there's no morality and, and so I kind of worked through all of those questions kind of in the year I, I turned 16 because of his death my grandfather's death and in a weird way then I was kind of prepared when Jonathan died to go oh I've done all that work and now I just have to deal with this ridiculously unexpected, horrible mm. tragedy. Because it just put in perspective, like somebody I know died recently in her 80s, somebody very close to my family. And on one level, of course, it's a huge loss and it's really sad. But another part of me is like, she lived a good life mm. and she yeah. lived her best self and she didn't suffer at the end. It wasn't prolonged and dragged out, which is exactly what she would have wanted. Mm. So I'm actually at peace with this, yeah. you know, in, in, a, in a major way. Yeah. Um, but I do think... The other thing that happens is whatever age and whatever life stage you're at, you learn the skills you need to get through that life stage, but they can kind of become embedded. So you can learn skills that you need to like get through the leaving cert when you're 18. Mm. But that's not necessarily the skills you need to get through death when you're like 30 or four, or like later in life. And I think sometimes when you go through a very traumatic event, you learn a bunch of coping skills to get through it. But they don't always serve you well five, ten years later. And yeah. you may not re-examine them. They and actually evolve, maybe yeah. it's important to look back and go, well, I was doing that for a while and I learned to detach myself. But, you know, n you know, half of my life later, maybe I don't need to be so detached all the time. And I definitely learned to kind of keep myself emotionally safe. But I don't know if that was by withdrawing a little bit. I don't know if that was a great thing to do in life or if that's a good um, a good strategy at this point in my life. And yeah. I'm, I'm sort of always trying to rethink should I, you know, evolve a bit more in a different direction? Mm. 19 years on. Yeah. You know, you talk about funny stories. Um, you talk about sort of people still, I presume, come up and talk to you. They hear the name go, oh, you're... How does that make you feel now compared to then? How do you react? Now it's lovely. Now it's yeah. just like, oh, I'm so glad people remember him. Mm. I'm so glad that like 19 years after he's gone, um, 
people still keep a small place in their heart from that that just feels mm. so I'm, I feel so grateful for that and um, I always love getting random emails and me- I, you know occasionally just get a message on Facebook or a me- mm. an email from somebody going I never told you this but or you know mm. I met in this time and you know and, and, and I don't mind hearing the bad stories too because I'm sure they, they are out there uh, and I, I don't mind that's part of the pitfall picture of, of who he was so yeah that's that's it's nice Do you feel sort of in any way under pressure like obviously your parents lost a child mm. it's the wrong way around it's sure. not the way it should yeah, happen by you know the natu- not the, natural, the natural order, order of things yeah. how are they with it now how's your relationship perhaps with them changed because that's one thing that we've sort of talked about a little bit is when somebody loses a sibling their relationship with their parent can change dramatically mm. I don't know that that changed massively. It, it, I mean, it was it was a bit difficult at times. I know cause my father wrote a book about Jonathan, and I think that was a really valuable Authority, thing for yeah. him in terms of his process. I felt a little bit like the book was too, like we were saying earlier, it was too many of the nice stories. Because obviously, if you write the letter to, to the father of someone who's just lost their son, you're not going to say, by the way, he was a jerk sometimes. You just don't do, no mm. one does that. Mm. But if you get 300 of those letters and put them together, I don't know that you end up with the full picture of the person. So, so, so but, but, you know, like, my dad is great because he, he really believes in having your own opinion and sticking to your own opinion. So like he let me write a bit at the end of the book where I said that. Mm, and yeah. so I mean like it's that kind of radical honesty that I, I really appreciate. The thing that's actually transformed my relationship with my parents if anything has is actually becoming a father myself and them going oh, oh you're able to look after a person. Yeah. And you're not now. And, and he's <laughs> well actually, done. he's actually, yeah you're not 12 yeah. and he's actually doing okay. He's, yeah. You're not bad at this. Yeah. And that's been, that's been transformative and, and that has I think changed a lot of things and, and changed as well probably how I Realized the kind of pressures they were under. I've only got one. They had like mm. t- at this point they had two and were you know had more to come. But you know the world is a different place now. And mm. you know anyway. I, also like I look at Jonathan now and I'm like, you became a kid, at, a dad at 19. Mm. Like I was in my mid 30s mm. and I was going okay. I had my 20s. It was all about me. Now it's time mm. for to be with somebody else. Mm. And I had the time to grow and mature and see all kinds of things. And actually seeing Jonathan dealing with the realities of having a kid early on was, mm. made me go. Do you know? I'm okay without doing this for a while. I think I'm going to yeah. put that in the back burner, <laughs> keep the nappies yeah. away. Yeah. And, and, you know, and that said, I'm delighted to have my nephew. And, and he was a, a very good dad and... because oh, I worked in dad. Milano as well at the time and he used to come in almost on a daily basis um, mm. with his son. And um, you could tell they had that special bond mm. and you could tell that they had the absolute crack hanging out together. Yeah. It's pretty, which I've, is lovely to see. Totally. Yeah. No, really. And the thing that I think... I can put words in it now I couldn't understand at the time I think the thing he did brilliantly was he was brilliant at delighting in Saul mm. like I think that you know everyone loves their kids right but but not every parent when their kids in their presence you can sometimes feel like that the dominant feeling is well I want to tell you this thing or yeah. I want you to behave in this way or I want you to go over there and do yeah. this or I want you to understand how what a difficult time I've had and parents have all of these things going on mm. but to actually look at your kid and be like I love who you are and you're great. Let's go and have fun together. Yeah. That's an amazing, that, my, uh, amazing thing. My sister and I were talking about it. It's like, she talks about when we're in the zone. Like she's mm. like, she watches my daughter and I and she's like, when you guys get in the zone, exactly what you're talking about. You're not telling her, stop doing that, do this, do that. We're going here. We're going there. Hold my hand. When you're actually just like in it with them, eye to yeah, eye. And it's, having it's fun. a brilliant it's thing. To, and it's magical when you're yeah. in it. Uh, and when you see your child doing it with and someone you else. you yeah. to do it sometimes. You do. Well. And it also makes you realize, oh, I should also maybe do this with my partner and yeah. my friends. Yeah, people I work with sometimes. Just be, in just be it. delighted. Yeah. Just be delighted in the moment yeah. by who they are, and yeah. just enjoy them for who they are. It's yeah. well, thing to do. obviously, like one of the you know you're talking about, like it is delightful to be in this space. Um, I think podcasting. The reason we decided that Grief Encounters this is, was a podcast is because it's like an intimate space, and you do that yourself. So that must be an important thing for you and a very big part of your life. 
I was working on this show Late Debate and, and Saturday with Cormac O'Hara for the last year and I had this realisation I think we all have it this feeling that politics has gotten so angry mm. and so like 20 years ago if you didn't agree with someone it's like well they're from a different political tradition than I am so they disagree with me now it's like no you're lying and you don't believe this and you're mm. funded by the Koch brothers or by George Soros or whoever it happens to be and I just felt like we're losing sight of the humanness of politics mm. and of politicians. And we're also creating a job which nobody with any emotional intelligence is going to want to do pretty soon. Yeah. And I don't want to be governed by people who don't have, you know, who don't Everything. feel happy and supported. Yeah. You know, like I say to people sometimes, if you're getting in a plane, do you want a pilot who is like a nice person who shares your values or a pilot who's really well rested and really good at their job? Mm-hmm. You know, I want someone who's really well rested and really good at their job, personally. <laughs> and, and so it's like, if we want good people to want this job, we have to make it an attractive proposition, not just for people who are like, you know, driven by lust of power mm. or whatever. You want to make it a nice job for people who are sane and sensible and trying to do the right thing. And I just felt that a good place to start would be just to talk to politicians about the emotional cost of going into politics, the toll it takes on their family life, the toll it takes on their loved ones. I had an amazing moment with Breed Smith where she just started by saying, you know, I lost my mother about a year ago and I don't know if I've had time to grieve for her, mm. you know? And this is something obviously is very close to your, your mm. heart. Like, that just really hit me. Whatever you think, and I know Breed yeah. Smith is somebody who's on the, the far left and she knows mm. that and there are people who either love her or really don't. Yeah, but you forget but, people but are the people. She's yeah. a human being. She's out there trying yeah. to help people yeah. in the best way that she mm. can and she sees fit. And and that's not giving her space to just like grieve mm. her own parent. Mm. And and there were lots of moments like that with different politicians. It, it's it's called Humans of Politics. You can find it in all the podcast apps. Mm. There's seven of them, and I'll hopefully do more in, in come in the near future. But I just wanted to remind everyone: these are people, mm. and they're doing a job. And if we all just pile abuse on them on social media all mm. the time, they're just going to withdraw, and they're mm. not going to want to do this. And and at the end of the day, whoever you agree with or disagree with politically we have to make this a civil space or we're all going to lose out because we're not going to have people who want to do this job who, mm. are, who are good. And that's kind of how to help try to build some kind of a world that I want to live in. I don't know that we can necessarily end like the rise of totalitarianism with just podcasts, but here's hoping. <laughs> There's a lot we can do with yeah. podcasts. Yeah. <laughs> Thank well, you so much for Thank joining you. us. deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.